and the Flush to Data podcast gets some extra time now with a few minutes of bonus material from Jorg and their guest. So coming back to, to like extra stuff, maybe what, what did we miss? In terms of what? In terms in ter of what? Important topics, maybe like particles. Then we, we touched on that with Julia's, with Julia's work, you know, so we'll put yeah. like a, a publication in the show notes so people can get a look. Yeah, yeah, the, the particles. Is, you, what you should do is maybe put my presentation of the uh, what I did on particles in UDM in Palermo. If you can this share that, that would be great. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I have the the, the it's on the, it's online. The, the PDF is online of that, uh, so I can send it to you. I'll write it down. Um, because particles is something that is. I'm doing a. We don't know yet, but I am responsible for a conference on particles and colloids in uh, Miami next year in January. I hope it's going to happen. <laughs> but. Uh, first thing I said, so people asked, we would like, we have the, they have these forums in West that are bit, uh, built upon the WR Motta idea, call mm -hmm. call idea to have people together in one room for three days and discuss a topic. And they had done one on phosphate last time, uh, the new, because there's a new thing on phosphorus removal, new ideas coming up very quickly. And so they were looking for a next topic. We had, of course, a drink in the evening. And so what is the next topic? And I said, particles. I think we should do something about particles. And people said, oh, boring. And then I started giving my rant about particles and how important they are everywhere. And then people just said, yeah, we should do that. It's, it's a tough topic to go deep, but we must go, we must tackle this issue because particles, there are so many things that are in common, so many things that are different, but so many things that are in common that you have to learn and teach people about and bring the knowledge together because you go from crystallization to grid chambers to it's all about part to filtration. It's all part. It's activated sludge granules. It's all particles, and we mm -hmm. they, they carry pollutants and they bring uh, solutions to because they bring biodegradation. Uh, so particles is something that I think gets way underestimated. Um, we there's so many aspects to particles that we. Or try to forget because we don't want to look at it. We just look at one side of a particle, whereas there's so many, you should look at them together. And we'd like the, the forum that we're building upon is basically looking at all these aspects in a, in a framework Yes. and see how what you do to a particle in one place of a system may affect the way you can use it to the benefit in another place. And all these things are coming to it's really, yes. really very challenging. And, it's and couple, we have these it's couple processes, right? Like your Yeah. So we have when I do type of particles, we look at type of particles, we look at methodologies to characterize particles, we look at processes infecting affecting particles and uh, how particles impact processes. And we have particles in the outside of the facility. So why mm -hmm. do we do it? Do we want and I use the one of the examples I use the seeding of the Glut River by nidifiers. Mm -hmm. As an example of bringing particles out to the benefit, because it, people say always particles are bad. No, they're not bad. Even on the outside, they're not bad. They they do things which are good, or they can do things which are good. Um, so that type of, and then we every time we have half a day sessions on on a topic, and then we have three deep dives every time. That's because we have one person giving the overview, and then three deep dives on grid chambers, right? Three so deep dives. Really, what do you mean a with deep, three? Deep? A deep dive is the term I think we use, and you basically go deep in it. It's the T, oh, right? Okay, it's not the cubo. Then you have a deep dive. It's not the cubo from the beginning. It's like a... no, no, no. no. <laughs> you go, you go deep on a topic, and you. It's very frustrating because yes. you know, everybody wants to have this topic, so we had to make a priority of things. And this is probably a series of forums on particles and colloids because people are not exposed to enough things to be able to handle particles well enough and see the consequences of what they do 
on other yes. parts where particles are important. Yes. So that's, that's I wouldn't even know, you know, whether you would have to be a, a physicist to, or like... It's, it, no, you have to, have, like, to, have to bring people together. Because we're talking about crystallization and I need a chemist to do it. Yeah, exactly, a, yes. All just, they're talking about COVID shedding, right? Coronavirus shedding by particles. Okay, who do I need for that? Because of UV and light interaction and, and the virus that survives. If I flocculation, biological flocculation, completely different again. Yes. Which, yeah, and bringing all those people together and making people realize that they need each other to be able to talk about particles and do something good with it, that I think is already, yes. if you're able to do that, that's going to be wonderful. Yes. No, I mean, my exposure to particles is you know, from these sewer conferences, you know, and then somebody has monitored somewhere, you have like a McDonald's upstream and then it looks totally different than whether you have like mm -hmm. a, just a residential area or like yeah, stormwater yeah, yeah, yeah. systems, you know, like... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and that's what my, that was my message as well in, uh, and my students use it now all the time. If you talk about pollution, then more than half of it is in particles. And yes. we make our models unsoluble. So why do we do this? Then most of the dangerous ones are, are on the particles, the pathogens, the heavy metals, the organics. They're on the part, the micropollutants often they are in the particles and we don't look at them. Yes. We don't know. And, and if you cannot model, it's like, it's like in a treatment plant. If you can't model the sludge, you cannot do anything, right? It's in, yeah. I think in, if you want to look at water quality in a sewer system, if you don't model particles, what are you doing? You look, okay, you're looking at part of the problem, you look at uh, ammonia and you look at the um, soluble micropollutants and that's it. Yes, that's it, ammonia. Yes, no, like one anecdote from my fluid mechanics teacher who was actually taught by the son of Einstein, Hans. Uh -huh. So it was his teacher. And like this Hans guy, when he was talking about to his students, he was saying that uh, when he was deciding for his career and he was doing mm. cement research, like fluvial stuff, then he was yeah, like, yeah like having a talk with his dad you know oh is my son what do you want to do and he said oh i want to do sediment research and then like uh, albert said what <laughs> something so difficult <laughs> okay i want you i want you to write this down because I, you made a story and i don't know where it came from but it must have come from you because i say that uh, to my students as well Albert Einstein said it was too difficult. I was like, I, yeah, I, 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 I quote that. Can you, can you, I will put it I to the show notes. Yes, yes, definitely. I would like to be able to quote you on that because I think it's such a wonderful story for people working in settlers. But I always had to say it. I was a hearsay. Now I know where it comes, but I want you to write it down. I don't know whether you got it from me, but it's like um, maybe from no, some other guy from Life who studied also in Hanover, maybe. Ah, it could be Life. Maybe. But I, think I know it's quite, I talk about it quite some time about this. But yes. I don't mind. Uh, I just want to make sure that now I know where it comes from, and it's. Uh, but I would like to know the story. So what did you say? So, so that my, father, my my teacher was like uh, Markovsky. I don't know the name, but I'll put it in the I'll document it in the notes. So like he was teaching fluid mechanics and uh, what was it like substance and thermal transport. Mm -hmm. so like um, yes and then like we were like uh, saying oh yeah how difficult it is and they said no the real difficult stuff is sediment transport and he got that from his teacher which was Hans Einstein the son of Albert and then like uh, this Hans and Albert had a conversation when he was like oh yeah I will be scientist yeah what's your topic sediment transport and then Albert said no like uh, don't you want to choose something something easy easier like, <laughs> I love that. I love that. I use this. I use this so often with students working on settlers because I've been working on settlers since 1990, right? 
Oh, my goodness. Yes. But it took a long time before I heard this, but I often <laughs> use it to say, oh, it's not easy what you're doing. But Setless is also Even like flocculation, flocculation stuff is probably like uh, how these sticks together, you know, then with the yeah, viscosity yeah, yeah, yeah. changes, that's probably like uh, orders of magnitude more difficult. Sure, 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 sure. And, it, and it's, 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 the problem is, I think it's often because you bring in so many different processes, you bring in physics, chemistry, and biology together. Right. It's like chemical flux are more easy than biological flux. Imagine you have biological flux, they grow and there's filaments coming out and they make the backbone of a flock. How can you ever understand such a yes. thing, which is natural evolution even plays a role. And so if you look at short time, in a month of time, you see the flux change. Why? Because the biology has changed, not because the physics or the chemistry has changed. No, it's just the biology has changed yes. because they grow and they evolve. No, that's, these are, yeah. So I, I agree with Albert that this is like, if you really want to, Albert was looking at quarks and it's simple. Right? <laughs> yes, God doesn't play dice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but that's a nice stake. That's a nice stake for the particles. And one thing I would like to probe your mind on would be compliance assessment. And maybe oh, the, yeah. integrated, the integrated operation of wastewater systems, but more from a theoretical point of view, you know, like... Um, because we are moving into a state where given the new sensors, you know, like mm -hmm. the CSO tank has like an overflow measurement now, yeah, yeah, more yeah. or less. Um, we have two pipes which pollute the water. One is coming from a treatment plant and that's sampled, yeah. you know, and there's heavy regulation, like 10 out of 12 probes per month, per year have to comply with some standards. And with, for, mm -hmm. the, for the other pipe, there's almost nothing. Mm -hmm. Now, in, yeah. in the US, in North America, there is something like um, model-based mostly, yeah. yes. Coming, yeah. Yeah. And there are fees behind it and people invest a lot of money in the investment of infrastructures. But how will we ever be able to regulate the system where we have incomplete information on the second pipe? No, but I think the, I would not say that the incomplete information. I think the, I see now here in Quebec, like all the overflows have now a level meter. So they know how much water coming. They can calculate reasonably what, what water comes out. I know Aquafin installed 400 stability sensors in their combined sewer overflows like eight years ago. But just installed wow. them, never made them work. Yeah, yeah 400. But for my PhD student that was is now in Euro in Brussels, he worked on that project as a postdoc, and they just they just bought. It was a capital investment, and then they have no investment on maintaining them. So we had yes. data floods, but. The, the sensors were dry. The cake was was drying out on it, and yes, of course the sensor was out. So nice investment, but stupid, stupid uh, idea. Uh, I think this will come that we'll have these simple sensors like conductivity, temperature, uh, maybe turbidity will be possible to measure this, and then we will have models. I think we should develop models to be able to predict what's going to happen and then use that as information source, as upgraded information from, and to assess what we're doing. And I think that that will happen. We'll have turbidity sensors in the rivers. That will tell us whether all these mm -hmm. things we're doing are, are wrong. So I think this is coming. I'm convinced that turbidity is one of the things that will, like I see if I put turbidity sensors in a river, they last two, three, four weeks without mm -hmm. intervention. So that yes. you can do. And it's an aggregate of things upstream. But don't we need a different mindset then? Because like this model-based, the, the, the planning-based approach, right? Is like, well, you take 30 years or 50 years of, of rainfall data, you know, then you make your model, you design your system. And then if it complies over the long term, that's okay. No, no, no. What I mean with the models is that they no, help I, you. Let, like let, me, okay. let me just finish. You know? So that's what I, I was taught, you know. You know yeah. you, you'd make your model, then you look at whether it works on average, you know, over the last 
10, yeah. 20 years. Yeah. And now when we have measurements, right, we have like uh, exceedance for event on an event basis, right? And mm -hmm. then we have a wet year and a dry year, you know? Mm -hmm. So even if you average over a year, you're not sure whether that's, you know, it, 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 the model was built for long-term averages, you know, whereas your mm -hmm. census give you instant, um, let's say, non-compliance or compliance, mm -hmm. right? So how we fuse this? What but I'm, I'm not there. I'm not there with you. The models I see is the models that are like software sensors, right? That help you to, based on the information you have and your knowledge, mm -hmm. that you upgrade a flow and a uh, time of day, mm -hmm. and maybe a connectivity measurement, that you are able to say something about the COD coming out or of the, or of the nutrients yes. coming out. I think that's more the type of upgrades I see in terms of information that you, you cannot afford to put an ammonia sensor everywhere. Not now. Maybe in no, 20 years you'll can't. be able to do it, but I would use a software sensor to be able to to predict this and then use that information. Still make use of that information to manage the system. That should yes. be possible. And if you have then data, I see ammonia sensors in the receiving water, yes. Nitrate sensors in the receiving water, yes. Given sufficient maintenance, they're doing this in... in uh, in Paris, in mm -hmm. the Grand River here, and they're putting these sensors in, and in rivers, I think there's much more. Frank has done it in, in Dresden, these, or his PhD study. These things are close to practice. Mm -hmm. If people want to protect their environments, they can do it with these chemical water quality <clears throat> sensors, and they can be used then to, to correct whatever is going wrong in our measurements, because those peaks are very distinct. They know when there's an overflow coming, a big overflow, you, you know it's coming, and you see this in the data that uh, Stefan Weyers is measuring in, the, in, in Eindhoven, you see the data coming too, so you can use this to check whether your measurement system, including models, is, is operational. Yes. And that can be used for management. When is this, the question is whether it's compliant. I think we should also look into the uh, uh, compliance of watersheds and, uh, and if a responsibility is on the weather watershed and they are punished if they don't do well, they have to delegate it upstream into mm -hmm. all the people that are affecting. And then it's about um, allocating money where you have to do it and allocating uh, punishment where you, where you can demonstrate. And it's about agreements, right? We, together, we don't make it. Well, we all take our share and we use the information that we get on where it's worth to invest a dollar or a euro or a yuan. So that goes towards total maximum daily load. Oh, yeah, no, I'm fully in that. And this is what also Europe does with its uh, emission-based uh, regulations. Yes. I think, that's, uh, I think we, we have to work in that way. It's no use to, to have a fight between this pipe and that pipe. In the end, yes. it's the receiving water you protect and the health of people if you have source protection of, of drinking water. That's where you have to protect. And as soon as you bring micropollutant fate into the story, and you talk about drinking water that you cannot handle properly the micropollutants for, then you're talking different business, I think. Then you, then you can make a business case out of it where watersheds managers are paid to do their job properly and, are, and environmental protection is something you can get funding for and water production is a value that you create. So use, use that mechanism to then yes. make sure that the proper work is done. I don't think you do have to do everything economically, but I think you can do a bit more than what you do now. Now there's nothing. It's some people coming around, the control engineer checks whether you've, you're compliant with your measurements, samples, etc. Yes. Yes, thanks. That's, that's good input. Good. Anything and else? We should, and, and uh, for instance, I have a project looking at how regulations mm -hmm. in, the, uh, in North America are built in a way that they limit innovation. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so how can you make the regulations in terms of impacts or of also from emission, so technology-based limits, how you can make them such that innovation is going faster because now there's a blockage in that sense. You know, people don't dare. You cannot make a mistake because you're punished for it. Whereas yes. the long-term environmental impact or health impact on society, by taking a risk and trying out something new that is in principle better, but you, you have some toothing, teething problems to go through, that this is problematic. So looking at those type of uh, regulations that exist in certain places, some mm -hmm. places allow you to, to take chances and, and have a, a bad day. In other regulations, it's not the case. You can't have a bad day and therefore people don't dare anything. Yes. And yes okay. Innovation is important to, to bring those new things in. Yes. Yes. And it's about incentives, right? Like the wastewater mm -hmm. treatment plant manager shouldn't have the incentive to reduce the inflow, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Uh, no. Exactly. That's, uh, yes. Yeah. Good. Then, if I look at my show notes, there remains two characters, two digits, 73. What's that? 73 minutes or what? 73, the favorite number. Oh, the 73. <laughs> <laughs> I would have put a 42 there. <laughs> no, no, I had a 42. I had a 42, but it's, an, it's a boring number, 42, I think. It was the year I went to, uh, no, it's nothing to do with it, but it was, it was 42 when I went to Quebec. But 42 is a nice number because it has a big story behind it, but... Uh, I always had uh, my my favorite number was 37 was just in, in almost impossible circumstances, but then I had a big bang uh, episode where uh, this opening line of the 73, the best number in in the world according to Sheldon, that was so no, much fun. That big that. bang, okay, that's uh, uh, you know that one. Like, no, I have it. I have it written down. Okay, so I don't know everything. I should. I can look it up because I have, I can send you the YouTube. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, so YouTube, so 73 is his best number because it's the 21st prime number in the list. <laughs> 20, 21 is the, I don't know, it's maybe seventh prime number or something. So it's something with three and seven uh, or the 13. Anyway, so, and then he goes on about 37 he mentions as well. And then it's a palindrome. If you look, if you write it in digital mode, it's a palindrome because it's 101001. If you turn that around, it's one zero zero one zero zero one. He, he pronounces this very nicely, and it's all these things with the so three times seven is twenty one. He goes about and, and it's it's just a wonderful thing of yes, and, we, so, and, then, and the nicest thing. And then it's put Kutapali that talks about his favorite number, and I have to think about it. It's eight zero zero eight oh, one sounds... three five. If you and if you put that into a calculator, so eight zero zero eight one three five. And you turn your calculator upside down, it says boobies. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the counter argument for the favorite number of Sheldon. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think I like Sheldon's better, but we, we, yeah, have, course, to, yeah, we have to we have to get that. They have different scientists. We have different scientists with different uh, needs, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a little laugh at it. It's good. And I used it in my uh, talk. You were not there, maybe. I used it in my digital transformation talk. And to just make it light it up, I had this uh, talk about 73, my favorite number. That's uh, awesome. Added it. Because digitization, right? Digitization is putting now is moving things into numbers and digits. Yes. So I used that in the opening uh, five minutes. I had uh, my favorite number is 73, and I gave them these things. <laughs> Good. Awesome. I'll have the link. I'll have the link and send it to you. Good. So there was like a, that was a tough ride, a wild Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ride. Good. Like from the Fisher Matrix to the Mono Station, to bathing. Good. So That's thank nice. you, Peter, for for joining it's in, been, and then has been fun. Looking forward to 
looking for the next big thing coming from Laval. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see what happens. (laughs) Beware, everybody. I had had four PhDs that were delivered this uh, spring. eh? In four months' time, four PhDs. Savannah finished, Julia finished. Uh, Bernard Patry worked on Lagoons, finished. And uh, Kiral Plana finished last week on grid chambers modeling. So it's... It was all particles, really. It's all wow. so Julia and Savannah were particles and real-time control and data handling. And then Kirill was about grid chambers and particles there. And then uh, uh, Bernard Patry worked on lagoons, but his work was a lot about sediments and the problems they gave because lagoons, you don't, these are also interesting. So it's the lagoon is like, we have it, 800 of the thousand plants in Quebec are lagoons, are the lagoons. Mm-hmm. And they operate without any, there's a mechanical engineer coming by now and then to check whether the pumps and the, uh, and the mixers still work and the aerators. And so they've made a system to intensify this process because now it's 20, time, 20 days retention time. So they want, and, and the cities grow, or the municipalities grow, so they want to see whether they can put more um, waste sort of through it. So they added biofilm into it. So it was in a company that had a biofilm mm. carrier they put in. And of course, it can now nitrify much longer than what you normally, normally it's just nitrifying a bit in the summer, but then now we can nitrify until January, February. That keeps going. But then something pops up, suddenly it starts bubbling. This lagoon mm-hmm. starts bubbling and it's um, and nitrification dies in the middle of in June, in June. And they don't know why. So we look into this. What happened to these lagoons is they're kind of settlers, right? They're big mm-hmm. settlers because they have limited aeration. So yes. typically in a normal lagoon, in normal loading, it takes about 10 years. They have to take a sludge out because then there's not enough volume anymore, active volume anymore. But of course, if you overload it three times, the sludge accumulates much faster. And in the winter, sludge accumulates without degradation. So what happens mm-hmm. in the month of May? Temperature starts to increase in the lagoon. It goes from 4 to 5 to 6 to 8 degrees. And at 10 degrees, methanogens start to degrade yes. the sediment that have been accumulated for six months. Mm. Bubbles, and it's bubbles. And the sulfide <laughs> redu- sulfate reduction bacteria make sulfide H2S. Nitrifiers cannot handle sulfide. They die. They die. Uh, the suspended solids go up. You have really clouds, have a very nice picture of clouds coming out of this. It's like volca- under uh, deep sea volcanoes, right? <laughs> just, it pops up and it's like a cloud of suspended solids that goes in the affluent. So the affluent quality is completely gone because it's 100, 150 milligrams of really bad uh, dark black sulfide containing particles. Wow. And the night the fires die and the biofilm is like getting too thick because these, all these particles are sticking on the on the biofilms. Mm-hmm. The biofilm grows too thick, so the oxygen cannot penetrate. So the whole system falls apart. So it's nice to have biofilms, but like three weeks during the year, you have this big problem of bubbling sediments. So what is the solution? At the end of the winter, you're cleaning up your sludge out of the settler, out of the lagoon. So That's rather okay. than having every 10 years, you basically desludge every time at the end of the winter. You take out six months of accumulated COD. You can put it into a digester because mm-hmm. it's going to going to produce methane like crazy and you and you have a system that can handle much more wastewater can have a biofilm during the nitrification for the critical period in the summer and off you go so that is a phd it's nice. also about particles and settling and nice. and then we were looking at he was measuring he could nice example predict. because it's also about understanding what's going on right yeah, no, and he could like predict a... he mm-hmm. could predict we had gas hold up means so we measured how much <laughs> gas was coming up so he could predict how much gas would be produced he could predict from that, he made a model, empirical model to predict how the sediments would go up, how it would affect the biofilm, because if you had an exchange of absorption, you know, attachment, detachment models he made with the Eberhard Morgan with ideas we got. Uh, well, a wonderful piece of work, wonderful piece of work. And the data set, we had a one-year 
full-year data set of ammonia nitrate with our monitoring stations on the Google. The mono state. Yeah, and an ask and an ask and an analyzer all there. And they, a one year, a beautiful data set. This, but a lot of work, a lot of work. This guy was was there all the time. And this, this lagoon is going at 40 centimeters of ice, right, in the winter? Ooh. On top of it, it's 40 centimeters of ice. And our sensor said, you cannot measure here. <laughs> <laughs> it's zero. <laughs> it shouldn't be water, but it's like, yeah. You put, uh, so on the, we made a hole, we made a hole in the, uh, in the ice, had a, an a infrared light on it. Ah, okay. Heat, heat to source, heat it on. To keep it, to keep it uh, liquid. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. These are tough. These things are not published. It's in a PhD because I wanted it to be written up in a PhD, but this you cannot publish. These type of tricks, it's just impossible to publish, but it's so much fun. So much fun. Yes. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it was really good to talk to you. And like, uh, I know that our listeners will enjoy. Oh, so. They're still listening now. This will, <laughs> this will go to the bonus, so it will be probably like a sound. <laughs> I think. The, call it's it the, the bootleg. It's, it's gonna the make the bootleg, a bootleg, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a John Peel session. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Good. It was good so, to talk to you, Peter. So let's say goodbye to our listeners. Bye. Thanks, Peter. Bye. -bye. Take care. Have a good evening. Have a good and evening. And my afternoon. Bye bye. Take bye. care.